<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Edit audio. Hello, and welcome to Confessions, a podcast by Cosmo, where your secrets are safe with us. My name is Mia Lardier, and today I am joined by my guest co-host, Cosmo's entertainment director, Maxwell Lascar. Hi, Maxwell. Hi, Mia. How are you? I'm wonderful. So in this podcast, we respond to anonymous confessions from readers and listeners. Um, So in that spirit of confessions, do you have anything that you would like to confess today? Yes, my confession is that our guest's book prompted me to pause and masturbate while Ooh, reading. Wow. <laughs> I feel honored. <laughs> yes. Little early reveal of yeah, our guest early expert. Reveal. Yeah. Ooh, that is saucy. Yes. I, I mean, I read the book as well. It, yeah. it prompts a lot of feelings, Zach. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Very pleasurable feelings, it seems. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so today's confession is a little tricky. Our reader, who was in a non-monogamous marriage, found out that her husband was starting to fall for someone that he was hooking up with. This is a no-no considering that their extramarital affairs are not supposed to get serious. Let's let the confessions robot who lives to protect your identity take it away. I'm in an ethically non-monogamous marriage, but we aren't polyamorous, meaning we are open sexually, but agreed to draw a boundary in terms of catching feelings and embarking on romantic escapades. Despite these rules, my spouse fell in love with someone else and it nearly resulted in a divorce. We worked our way through it and have decided to remain together, my spouse and their new love broke things off, but rebuilding that lost trust has been a process. So today we have Zachary Zane as our guest. He is the author of Boyslut, a memoir and manifesto, and editor-in-chief of the Boyslut Zine, which publishes nonfiction erotica from kinksters across the globe. He currently has two columns, Sexplain It, the sex and relationship advice column at Men's Health, and navigating non-monogamy at Cosmopolitan. His work has been published in the New York Times, Rolling Stone, Washington Post, GQ, Playboy, Vice, and many others. Welcome, Zach. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm uh, very excited. We're so excited, too. So given that this confession is a little bit about non-monogamy, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with non-monogamy? Sure. So I'm polyamorous, meaning that uh, I'm open to multiple loves. I'm open to having a boyfriend and a girlfriend and a they friend at the same time. I've been polyamorous for almost a decade now, for about eight years, Mm -hmm. and partners have kind of come and go, and my relationship with partners have evolved over time. But so right now, I just have uh, one primary partner. So you've tried a little bit of it all. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I've been like solo poly. I've been in just an open relationship, but not polyamorous. I've done non-hierarchical poly. I've done relationship anarchy. So I've like really changed uh, the type of polyamorous style or ethical non-monogamous style that I am often contingent upon my partners and their desires and kind of what works best for us. That's kind of the beauty about ethical non-monogamy. It's not a one-size-fits-all and you can create your own type of relationship. Right. So for me, I am monogamous. I've been monogamous, very boring my whole life. How about you? What is your relationship? I am in an open marriage. Similar to this confession, I'm in an ethically non-monogamous marriage, but we are not polyamorous. Mm -hmm. So me and my husband do uh, sleep with other men when Mm -hmm. you know we want to yeah it started off with us playing together and Mm -hmm. then we realized it was really hard to find people who agreed on the both of us and who we both agreed upon right um physically we're both very different Mm -hmm. you know i'm six three i'm a brunette i'm softer around the middle Mm -hmm. he's like five ten blonde yeah super athletic we just attract different types and that's fine and we're we're good with that that works for us So, Zachary, knowing that Mia's monogamous, I'm non-monogamous, and you just said that you're polyamorous, can you explain to our listeners the difference between non-monogamy versus polyamory in greater detail? Sure. So I kind of see non-monogamy as this overarching umbrella term for everything that is not monogamous, right? So that can include polyamory, which means you're open to dating and loving multiple people at once. Or it can be just an open relationship, kind of the one that you're in as well, right? Where you're not looking to have another boyfriend, you're not looking for other romantic relationships, but you are allowed to have sexual relationships outside of your primary one. There are also like other various forms of non-monogamy, like monogamish, which is something that like Dan Savage coined, uh, Mm -hmm. relationship anarchy. So there are a bunch of different ways to be non-monogamous. Yeah. And in your book, I really liked that you broke down the difference between ethical and just you know, non-monogamy. And that's sort of like the permission, which is (laughs) a big conversation. And it's, you know, something that I think a lot of people struggle with is, is having that open, honest dialogue with their partner versus just going out and quote cheating, which, you know, I say quote cheating because it really depends on whether you get caught. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. And Zach, too, I loved in your book, there was a passage about when you cheated on your first girlfriend, Sarah. Yeah, that was my first girlfriend ever. Your first girlfriend ever. um, And you cheated on with not one, but two people at the same time. (laughs) At the same time. So it was a threesome. So I think that counts as one unit, one unit of cheating. One unit. But when you went and told her, you were like terrified that she was like ready to break up with you and like it was the end. But instead, she was like actually really chill about it. Yeah, she was okay with me having you know, fleeting sexual encounters with other people. But if I actually fell in love with someone else, that would be an issue. But she brought up this book, a Kurt Vonnegut book, which I haven't even read, but she spoke about how like when the people really loved each other, they would like put the soles of their feet together. And that was like almost their version of soul bonding. Mm. And she was like, if you did that special, you know, like foot thing with someone else, then I'd be heartbroken. I'd be really sad and upset because that, to her, you know, implies this special connection, this really emotional intimacy. Right. But that's not what I did, right? Right. I had just a drunken threesome. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Was that your kind of your first introduction to learning a bit about non-monogamy and how it could work? Her openness at like 16, 17 is like wild. I guess we were 17 yeah. at the time. Was yeah. Like that, that absolutely. Yeah. 
wild. This is like, honestly, before people were talking about open relationships right. the way that we are now. Of course, people have been doing this for forever, but I feel like it's really entered its way into the mainstream here. Right. And I remember feeling like I got away with murder. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you did a good job, like, capturing that feeling. I remember feeling like, what? She's not mad at Like, what? No, this can't be right. Right. And then... Ironically, this was one of the reasons why we ended up breaking up because I I hooked up with someone else again. Mm -hmm. And the fact that like she didn't get jealous, like upset me. I thought that meant that she didn't love me, which is of course not true. But I've been conditioned to believe that like jealousy was a good thing. It's this demonstration of passion and love. And if they're not jealous, that means they really don't like you. Right. So that's how I interpreted it versus... You know, now I've had some partners who do get jealous, even though we are in open relationships yeah. or non-monogamous poly relationships. Of course, we talk about it. Yeah. And I'm like, God damn, I kind of miss Sarah a little bit. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, know. Sarah that, was but, a real one. Yeah. But the fact that at 17, she had this understanding is like incredible. Yeah. It, truly, yeah. it took me many, many years to get that understanding and many failed relationships and many people who've broken my heart and I've broken theirs to kind of reach the point where I am today. Yeah. I was really impressed by the emotional capacity that you both had at 17. More so her in the situation. <laughs> Definitely more um, so her. <laughs> yes, because she was so cool with it. And then you were really honest in writing that at that time you were like, oh, well, thank you for this permission. But FYI, I don't think it's OK if you do this thing. And so it was really awesome as a reader to sort of like follow your journey and like realizing what is and isn't quote, cool within these non-monogamous relationships. And like ownership was something at that time that you kind of had to work through. And I'm I'm personally jealous that you started that journey at age 17. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you've had a lot of time to work through it and sort of figure out what works for you. And now you're able to enjoy your, you know, adult years. Exactly. Pretty freely. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Getting back to the confession from our reader, did you ever have any fears when you first started like consciously getting into non-monogamy that something like this would happen when you had a partner who, you know, might decide to do something that felt not within the boundaries of what you set in your relationship? I mean, for me, my journey was a little bit different. I actually kind of like fell into polyamory accidentally. Um, Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, at the time, I had just actually was in a monogamous relationship. We had broken up. And afterwards, I really wanted to be this big old whore and sleep with everyone uh, (laughs) because I'd just been monogamous for a while. And so I was dating, like casually dating a couple guys. And I let them know, I'm not looking for a boyfriend. I'm not looking for a serious relationship. Mm -hmm. Still, they both, after a month or two, wanted more commitment. And the second one, when I told him, like, no, I told you this from the beginning, he, like, cried, berated me, was like, Mm -hmm. you led me on. And I was like... No, I was actually very clear about this. So I was frustrated. And I'm like, I'm not even going to go on dates. I'm not going to go on dates right now. I'm just like, it's just going to be grinder. You're going to come in. I'm going to fuck you. You're going to leave. I do not validate parking. Like in and out of my apartment, 20 minutes. That's it. And then I ended up meeting this person who was polyamorous, who I ended up going on a date with him because at the time he had a wife who he lived with, a girlfriend who he also lived with, a boyfriend who he did not live with, and all of these other like secondary and tertiary partners. Wow. And so I was like, oh, even though I'm not dating right now, there's no way our relationship can get serious. This guy doesn't have time to breathe, let alone date someone else. Uh, Cut to four months later, I'm moving in with him and his wife. I'm seeing him six days a week. (laughs) 
for me, almost I was coming from a place of uh, having like an avoidant personality, <laughs> you know, like that type of attachment. Right, right. And I felt that polyamory felt safe. So I went in for the wrong reasons. You don't go into polyamory because you want less love. You go into polyamory right. because you want more love and more connections. So I, I kind of had a different journey. But to answer kind of her question a little bit more directly, there is always a risk. There's always a risk yeah. when you open up your relationship, even when you have rules set in place, like no sleepovers, no kissing, no hooking up with exes, no hooking up with friends. Like, yeah, this person might fall in love with someone else. Mm-hmm. That is the risk. And the truth of the matter is someone might fall in love with someone else, even if you're monogamous. You know what I mean? Right. That is yes. just always a risk. I right. think you're probably allowing for more opportunity if you open your relationship, right? Yeah. So it's one of those things when I hear these things happen, it's more so I just feel like sad or because or, it's not like he did anything wrong. If he kind of mm-hmm. abided yes. by the rules of the relationship and still fell in love with someone, you can't right. kind of control your feelings. Like the rule can't be, oh, you can't fall in love with someone else. It's the rules are we have certain rules in place and hopefully this will prevent you from falling in love with someone else. But you can't control your feelings. So I kind of feel bad for her because she feels hurt and betrayed. I feel bad for him because he had to let go of this love that he also has. And in terms of rebuilding, I hope that she can understand like this was kind of a risk that could have potentially happened when you open a relationship. Like, And she has to accept those risks. But the fact that he is coming back to her. The fact that he stopped this other relationship and is working on rebuilding their connection and their relationship, I think is a great sign and really speaks to his integrity and character. He's really trying here and really shows that he does love her. Right. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I guess from my point of view, since I've only been in monogamous relationships, I'm wondering what what does cheating look like in a non-monogamous relationship? And this is a question to you both. As someone who's in it, I, I agree with everything you just said, which is that like by... Being in an open relationship, which is something that, you know, I I mentioned earlier, we are not polyamorous. We have, you know, made the decision that we're not going to, like, open ourselves up to having romantic boyfriends or Mm -hmm. girlfriends, you know, Mm -hmm. within our relationship. But we both recognize as we navigate our, you know, extramarital affairs that, like you said, that risk exists and trust is definitely you know a big part of it but also we kind of have to accept if something does happen that we we kind of allowed for it to happen and right. like giving ourselves the grace to have these human experiences right it's also like you know if i've made this mistake in the past when you start falling for someone like 
stop it then and there. You let your partner know, hey, I'm really actually starting to get a crush on this person that I didn't mean to get a crush on, so I'm going to stop seeing them. Right. And that's really difficult to do. You know what I mean? When technically you're abiding by the rules in your relationships, you haven't done anything wrong, quote unquote, but you know when you're starting to get feelings. And if that's starting to happen... I think it's really important to acknowledge it and start pumping the brakes so you don't, you know, end up in this relationship where all of a sudden you're torn between these two loves. You know what I mean? Agreed. Agreed. And you have to kind of assess, like, is it worth it? Which, you know, everyone's definition of worth is different. But like for me and my husband, it's we've gotten to a point, you know, in the past where one of us has caught feelings for someone else. and, And it does it does come with a lot of conversations and sort of like, you know, are you willing to continue going down this path, which ultimately hurts me (laughs) and then hurts us as a unit. Right. And if you are, then are you willing to live with, you know, the repercussions of us, maybe not continuing what we have. Right. Right. It's, it's like a weird sticky, you know, sort of thing, but I think it's healthier. Right. I mean, this is it's just like level 500 communication, I feel like, for these relationships. It has to be. It really is. And, you know, I mean, and I'm different than other people on this. Like, I don't want the actual, and this is from like Jessica Fern's book, Polysecure, where she Mm -hmm. talks about specifically how like monogamous people rely on the relationship structure for security. So it's like, oh, the fact that you can't hook up with anything else because we're monogamous, as opposed to actually communicating and having a secure relationship. And that can even happen, you know, with open relationships, too. You're kind of relying on the structure to hopefully keep you guys together. But for me, I know I'm someone that I want my partner to be with me because they want to be with me. You know, and if they want to be with someone else over me, I will be heartbroken. I'm not going to pretend that, like, oh, that's great. I have no feelings whatsoever. And I'm not heartbroken that you pick someone else over me. And I'm just happy for you. Eventually, I'll get to hopefully a place where I'm happy for them. But for me, I want my partner to wake up every day and choose me and not choose me because they kind of have to or they're like relationship rules that are kind of forcing them to choose me. But again, that's me personally. And that's I think I'm actually in the minority uh, when it comes to that. I think other people are more okay with and it's definitely socially acceptable in the norm to rely a little bit on the structure to have some security and some safety within the relationship one great thing about your book is that you're very clear that there is no one size fits all yeah for this sort of relationship structure so how do you communicate about these kind of boundaries at the beginning of a non-monogamous relationship Yeah, there's no one way to do this, and that's kind of the beauty of it. And that also explains why I've had so many different types of non-monogamous relationships. It's because, oh, what worked for me in this past partner isn't going to work for me in this new partner. But I mean, it's always just being as honest as you can from the get-go and communicating. But it's also really trying, I think, to understand in these certain things that sometimes it's just a mismatch. In fact, Mm. often it's just a mismatch. But I get, you know, sex and relationship questions for men's health. And often I can tell how angry and hurt people are because this person doesn't like them or love them the way that they want to be loved or they don't want to be monogamous. And they really want to either like on that person, you know, blame that person or blame themselves. And I'm like, there's actually no one to blame here. You know, like more often than not, there really isn't someone to blame. We like to blame because we like to be able like, oh, like. Someone is responsible for this, and that makes it easier for us moving forward to be like, well, it was their fault. 
And as long as I don't date them, it's okay. Or it's my fault. I can grow and change. But often it is just a mismatch. And I think it's really important to recognize that, that if you want something and your partner doesn't want it or you want to implement these rules because it makes you feel secure and they're like, I can't have a no kissing rule. I can't have a no sleepover rule because I really still want to have intimacy with my other partners. Um, then you guys are just not meant to be. So I think from the beginning, having these conversations of being like, hey, this is the type of non-monogamy I like, and this is why I have these rules set in place to make me feel secure, and here's some things you can do to make me feel secure in the relationship while you explore with other people or hook up with Mm -hmm. other people. But, you know, right now, I can kind of share something personal. Yeah. So I have a girlfriend. We've been dating for like four months. But when we first started dating... Um, probably within a week or two, I kind of explained to her, I said, I really like you. I like spending time with you. I don't see this being uh, our forever relationship. I don't Mm. see us getting married. Mm -hmm. I actually think for my queer identity, it's very important for me to end up with a man. I feel like I end up Mm. in more egalitarian relationships with men. I feel Mm -hmm. very queer affirmed as a man. I don't fall into like heteronormative like norms and scripts because we're both men. And even when I date queer women, it's so ingrained in us to be like, I'm the man, she's the woman that we fall into these heteronormative ways that I don't enjoy. So I've realized recently that I think I want my primary partner to be a man. Of course, watch me end up like marrying her three months from now and all of this will be (laughs) completely, you know, I'd be like, I'm always open to evolving. You know what I mean? This is where I'm right now. And I said, I'm expressing this to you, like to be honest from the get go to see if you're on board, but also because I don't want my behaviors to be perceived as being on a relationship escalator. Right. Like I want to be able to buy you gifts and like, you know, get you flowers and take you out for dinner for your birthday the way I take my friends out for dinner for their birthdays. I want to be able to hold your hand. I want to be able to cuddle. And I don't want sometimes when that happens, people are like, oh, he wants to be with me forever or, oh, I can change him. You know, like he'll definitely want to marry me. And I'm like, I want to be able to do these cutesy things with you and know that still this is the dynamic of our relationship. So I expressed this to her very early on. And her response is, Zach, thank you for letting me know. First and foremost, I just want you to be happy, uh, whether that's with me or without me. That's my first priority. And she said that my heart broke. I was like, oh, my God, you're amazing. That's so sweet. And she was like, please, you know, if you find a guy, and mind you, she dates other people too. We are poly, right? But she's like, if you find a guy who ends up being, you know, your husband or primary partner, please do not kick me to the curb. You know, it's like, Mm. I don't want to be like, oh, like, I completely disposed of. She was like, I still would like to be in your life. I would like to be the flower girl. Uh, you know, walking oh, down your that's wedding. That's so sweet. <laughs> and this is something, you know, we have ongoing conversations about because sometimes, right. you know, we'd, uh, we've just been getting closer and closer. And, you know, there have been times where she's like, sometimes it's confusing, you know, the fact right. that I know that this is going to probably end, you know, in this way. Right. And because we both love each other. But I'm okay with it. And we're just talking about it because, you know, this is new for both of us. And I've never dated someone and had this level of intimacy and connection kind of being like, I actually don't think this is going to be the, the the end game for me. And for me, because I'm someone who doesn't view relationship success by being together for 50 years and like then dying. And especially if you're miserable for 49 of those years, that actually sounds terrible. Right. So if we have a relationship for a year and it ends, you know, beautifully on great terms or just ends on whatever terms, I'm going to be so happy I had this relationship. I will look back on it extremely fondly. Right. I don't see any relationship as a waste of time. And I think that could be because maybe I don't want to have kids. I think that's probably a big factor. If you do want to have kids and build a family, Mm -hmm. I could see how it feels like more of a waste of time. But because I don't, 
and I don't have a scarcity mindset. I know that there'll always be people who love me and there'll always be people who I love that I'm not worried about being alone until I die, that I can kind of have these relationships for six months, a year, two years and end them and be really, really happy that they happened. And yeah. Sorry, that was a long rant. <laughs> no, but it was super helpful. And it sounds like you guys talk all the time. Yeah. Right. And you've talked a little bit about these rules, like no kissing, no sleepovers. Like, can you elaborate more on what kind of boundaries you think are things that people should be discussing from the outset? Yeah. I mean, it's different for each person. You know what I mean? So I, I don't want to give kind of blanket rules, but I think some common ones. I, I know for me, like when I was in an open relationship and kind of did exactly what this guy did, if I'm being honest, where it's just like I was in an open relationship. I was not supposed to fall in love with someone else. And I technically was abiding by all the rules on our open relationship, but then I still did. Um, from that, I learned like, okay, even though I didn't implement this as a rule, I should have done no sleepovers. Because if we're doing sleepovers and we're cuddling and we're making out in the morning, yeah. I, I'm going to yeah. catch some feelings. You know what I mean? So I think a part of it is knowing yourself, like and implementing these rules, like yeah. actually for yourself and not just your partner. Right. Yes. So like right. the no sleepover rule would be for me. Because I know that I could definitely fall in love with someone from that. Um, no ex rule would be like, I still have some lingering feelings for my exes. So being honest with yourself about the rules that you should implement on you and not just what would make you feel comfortable with what your partner is right. doing. So like, what would you suggest people do in terms of like, how often should people be checking in with each other about boundaries and, and where things are headed? I, I always like doing, I think people call it the state of the union. I've heard it like told, but just kind of once <laughs> every couple of weeks or a week, you have a relationship check-in. And this doesn't need mm -hmm. to be a formal sit down. Here's my notebook. I'm going to tell you every little thing that you've pissed me off this week. Right. Um, it's just being like, hey, how are you feeling in a relationship? Is there anything I can improve on? Any way I can give you additional support? And this allows you to kind of express things before they boil up into a larger yes. issue. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, yes, yes. Which happens so often where by the time you know, you end up communicating something, you're so frustrated and angry because 10 million things have happened. And then the person right. kind of receiving, the person that you're dating is like, wait, what the f is going on? Because they just right. think it's yeah. one isolated incident when in actuality, right. it's so many things that have built yeah. up. Yeah, the information has now become like a resentment. Yeah. A resentment thing. So I think if you could kind of, you know, kind of have these smaller conversations consistently. And also one thing, and I think research has supported this, is it's not necessarily how often you argue. It's about how well you resolve arguments. Mm. Um, you know, I've had relationships in the past where we actually don't argue that often. But when we do, it's more of a blow up and it never gets resolved. You know what I mean? Like, it just ends up being mm. these things that linger mm -hmm. and boil over. And because we didn't have a good communication, like, while discussing it uh, and we got defensive or projected our insecurities... Like, even right. though we only would have these blowouts, whatever, once every four or five months, that was really bad because we never actually resolved the issues. Versus now in my relationship, even though we might have more issues, we're able to really calmly discuss it and address it in a way where we have more of these relationship talks because we are just so different people, but we've been able to resolve it. And, and that's truly incredible where it's like, I'm in a healthy relationship, even though we're having more, say, disagreements. Interesting. I mean, it's, you're checking in all the time. Um, but I guess in this situation, going back to the confession, um, do you feel after this kind of situation that the trust can be rebuilt, whether it's through these kinds of conversations or otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really do think there's an opportunity uh, to rebuild the trust and honesty. 
I think it's very helpful if she can have more like actionable items where it's just like what would make her feel more supported? What would make her feel make her trust her partner more? What rules need to be implemented in place? Uh, yeah. What does she need to be told by him? Like giving him something that's a little bit more actionable as opposed to like, okay, you need to rebuild the trust. How? I don't know. You messed up. Uh, that's not my responsibility. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, it, it's both of your responsibilities if you want to make this work. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah. Yeah. And so what are kind of like the biggest misconceptions that you hear about non-monogamy and polyamory when you hear it from people who have never experienced either? I I think there's this idea that like uh, it's a quote unquote free for all that you can do whatever you want. And I think anyone who's Mm. been listening to this podcast knows that like that's absolutely not the case. Um, You know, often there are rules that are implemented. And even if you don't have same boundaries or rules the same way, you still have to be honest. You still have to be upfront. You still can't just be a dick. And, you know, have date night and then cancel on date night with your partner to go someone else because you've had a crush on them and they're hot and they hit you up like that's being a dick. Right. So it's not just like you can do whatever you want. I think a frustrating one that I hear often is that polyamory never works out long term, um, Mm. which a polyamory can work out long term, but also kind of speaking to what I said earlier our goal might not be long-term. Right, mm-hmm. right. So you're judging my relationship success based off of different metrics that I'm not even judging my relationship success by. But even right. independent of that, yes, of course, polyamorous relationships can work long-term. And I know people who've been you know, married to their wife or girlfriend have had the boyfriend for 30 years. You know what I mean? Like, right. That's just kind of like a ridiculous statement. Any like blanket statement or like, yes, or like every single polyamorous relationship is this or no polyamorous relationship is that. Anytime you speak in absolutes, like that's going to be incorrect. Even though I love how that was an yeah. absolute. Yeah. That will likely be incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't speak in absolutes. Absolutely. Um, no, and me also in a non-monogamous relationship, I just wanted to quickly add that one of my biggest frustrations is that people always view it as the symptom of something wrong. Interesting. Like they, like, people love to view my open relationship as me and my husband needing something to fix right. whatever's not working within right. our own right, right. relationship. Right. When really it's just that like we both recognize that like we can't be sexually fulfilled by one another. Right. You know, completely exactly. for the rest of our sexual lives. Right. And, and I think right. that's sometimes monogamous people like projecting, you know, like in a way it's like, do they not oh, right. have <laughs> yeah. like 
uh, like, of course, they've made the choice to remain monogamous with this person, and they should absolutely abide by that and not cheat and don't have infidelity. But at the same time, like, they know that they sometimes want to f*** other people and that they're still sexually attracted right. to other people. They're making it seem like that's wild that you still want to have sex with other people. That means there's yeah. an issue right. in the relationship. It's like That's always my number one thing that I poke and prod people with. I'm like, so you never, like, have me eyes with someone that you see across the room that you like i'm not saying you need to act on it but you don't want to f- that hot person right across the room. right and always i love when people are indignant too and they're like no i only have eyes for him and I'm right like, that, that person's thing? cheating yeah right. that person's like, no. uh, that person's f-ing cheating and i think it comes too from like our parents generation where like our, our parents probably all weren't happy in their relationships monogamously mm-hmm. and it comes from this thing i think where it's too where it's heterosexual couples too they probably don't feel like they have like the permission to also explore in addition to other people their sexuality once they're in a partnered relationship with another person. I also think it's almost like acknowledging it to them is a slippery slope where it's like, oh my God, right. if you acknowledge you have these attractions to other people, oh shit, then what if I want to act on them? Oh shit, what if I want to open a relationship? And like all of a sudden right. it, it can just be you know, a can of worms that they don't even want to open. So they're just kind of in yeah. denial about it completely. So they're not even getting close to that can of worms. However, you know, that uh, can lead to infidelity <laughs> is, is what I'll say with that. Well, I think Mia touched on the, you know, our parents sort of setting the standard and like heterosexual couples feeling like they need to like fit this mold. On top of denial, I think it has a lot to do with like self-preservation as it pertains to societal structures and sort of, you know, what is my family going to think about me? What are my friends going to think about me? Like, how can I like share this part of myself with other people I love, you know, non-sexually? And it's, it's something that's come up in my marriage for sure. Like, you know, my mom knows that me and my husband are open. Mm -hmm. My husband's parents. Oh my God. I once randomly like let it slip that I got tested and she was just like, for what and why like she couldn't wrap her head around the idea that like yeah we're still sexually active outside of our relationship and need to be tested regularly and be on prep and I don't know I feel like that's just another added layer about polyamory that people forget about which is like the honesty with your friends and colleagues it's still judged it is still stigmatized yeah yeah So I guess, you know, just to wrap up, do you have any advice that you would give to our reader about this relationship and where they should go from there? So I think her remembering that in the end, he did choose her. And and that's important. They're working on rebuilding the relationship. I think moving forward, having rules in place that help to prevent falling in love with someone else. But the rule itself can't be falling in love with someone else because you just can't control your emotions. So I think... If they continue to be in an open relationship, um, her recognizing that there is a little bit of risk, but that I really want it on his end to be as honest and communicative as possible from the beginning if he starts catching feelings and to cut things off with that other person. But I think if she can allow herself to give him some grace and to hopefully just over time rebuild this trust, it might be worth it to close their relationship right now. I have a feeling they probably are from the sounds of it. And remembering he didn't control who we fall in love with. That's something that he can't do. But right. he did choose to tell you, and he did not leave you, and he chose to broke things off with the other person. I think that does speak volume. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. 
Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. So on your Substack, you write about all the great sex that you have in detail. Uh, amazing detail. Sure so do. we're going to name sure a do. few. So we're going to name a few people and groups that you have had sex with, and you can rate their experience one to ten. One being it was a very met experience, ten being the best experience of your life. Giving as much or as little context with that answer. So are you ready for this little round red round? I'm uh, I'm excited for this. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number one is the guy who was your Uber driver from an airport that actually wasn't your Uber driver and was just more of a hookup. Do you remember this story? Oh no, I remember everything I've written. And okay, I, for- <laughs> I, the thing is, if I write a story, uh, it's gonna be an eight, nine, or ten. I, I don't write okay. like a story where I'm like, "Here was a terrible sexual experience. I hope you enjoy sure. this erotica and jerking off to right. it." Right. But uh, so in that range of eight, nine, or ten, um, I'd say a nine because a nine. This man just I love it. I met him on Sniffies. Just picked me up from the airport, saved me a hundred dollars in Uber because it was uh surging work got back uh took a shower then was like naked uh, upon me returning and we got to and then he left i'm like this is awesome this is how uber should be free and come with sex at the end of it (laughs) that's service yes and you can leave a rating at the end five stars the second one is just in quotes countless hungry mouths and holes so on a trip to zurich you visited two saunas and you you Countless hungry mouths and holes. How would you rate that experience? I love international sex. Like, I, I love seeing what the sex culture is in other places. Same. I give this one a eight. It was hot and sexy as all hell. The sauna itself wasn't the nicest, like, gay sauna I've been to. The amenities weren't great. But the actual sexual experiences, I love it with guys' mouths and holes all over me. So, 8.5. What's the best sauna you've ever been to? Steamworks in Chicago is pretty fun, for sure. I think I've heard of uh, that. Steamworks is yeah. like a big chain that I think uh, they maybe have like four or five, maybe more. It's like a popular gay sauna, and that the one in Chicago is a lot of fun. Okay, so time to plan a trip to Chicago. Yeah. 
<laughs> the third one is um, a groom at a bachelor party. So some context behind this one. Um, it was a summer oh, in no, P-Town. I, I remember all of them. Okay. This is for the listeners. Okay, yeah, they yeah. Were, so you were summering in P-Town with your gay uncles, right? And you were doing a little bit of a side hustle? I was a stripper at a bachelor party. So it was like Sunday day. They've been partying all night. They do it for brunch. So it's like 11 o'clock. They've slept three hours. They are hungover. They don't want to be doing this. They look like death. Right. I have to come in alone, be the life of a party when like, oh, this would have been so much easier if it was 10 p.m. and they were drunk or pre-gaming. Instead, everyone's like death. So I'm encouraging everyone. I'm like, you all need to chug your Bloody Marys or mimosas. This looks dead here. Finally, they got into it. I was able to work the crowd. And they left me to be alone with the um, the groom. And even though it was a gay bachelor party, they had separate... Like bachelor party, so each groom did it differently. So the groom was not with his other groom. And so I was there, and you know, I'm in my sexy little thong, and I just get hard because I don't know, I'm turning myself on. It's arousing. I'm grinding up on him. And like he kind of looks at me, and I look at him, and I'm like, yeah, you can, we can do this. And then he blew me, and that was awesome. I I think every bachelor party should end in me being blown at the end. No, but like uh, every Uber, every bachelor party. But that was just, like, really unexpected. I was not planning to do this. He was not planning to do this. Like, this was just, like, he was hot. Right. I was hot. It was in the moment. Like, why the f*** not? Unexpected delight. 10 out of 10. <laughs> okay, so the next one sounds pretty good, too. It was a cougar with a murderous husband. So I was on a date with this woman that we met on field. She told me she had a husband and that they were open. And then we were at dinner. Like, her husband was, like, outside kind of, like, pacing like the Ugh. restaurant, I'm like, oh, she's like, oh, it's just my husband. Like he checks on me. It's really sweet. Like just to make sure I'm safe. And I'm like, I don't feel. I safe. don't feel yeah. safe. <laughs> I feel the laser. I, I was like, <laughs> is this man going to kill me? And of course, we still had sex because I risked this man killing me. And I think the fear right. that this husband would have killed me in a murderous rage um, amps it up. It goes from an eight to a nine and a half with that. Well, Zachary, thank you so much for your time. And we appreciate, I'm sure a reader appreciates your advice on their situation and confession. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much. This was a ton of fun. And for the love of God, please everyone buy Boy Slut, a memoir and manifesto. It's so good. Fake smile Cosmo Confessions is made in collaboration with Edit Audio. I'm your host, Mia Lardier. This episode was produced by Mia Lardier, Ali Sirwa, and Maria Passingham. It was edited, mixed, and mastered by Maria Passingham. Thank you to our production manager, Kathleen Speckert, and our executive producer, Steph Colburn. As always, thank you to the whole Cosmo and Edit Audio teams for their time and input. And an extra special shout out to our guests and to you for listening. Now tell us your secrets. Link is in the show notes. Good secrets are no fun unless you tell me one.